The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Philip Peterson are here. Uh, Philip is the Chief Investment Strategist for IG Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about Fox Group Private Wealth Management at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning to you all. Good morning, Philip. Welcome and uh, great to have you here. Kind of a, a weird week here because obviously we've got an interest rate uh, hike situation and, and people are, you know, they're kind of getting tired of this stuff. What are your thoughts? Yeah, first, thanks for having me on. It's a great start to the new year. And uh, I do think that the Bank of Canada is going to go ahead with one. I think this is going to be the last interest rate hike for the Bank of Canada that will take the overnight rate to four and a half percent. And that's because we're starting to see inflation come down. We're seeing inflation continue to move lower on uh, a year-over-year basis. It's been that way for the last five or six months, and I think that's going to continue that way through the first half of this year. So the Bank of Canada and their interest rate increases have done their job. And now I think they should should and could pause to you know, bear fruit on, yeah. on these increases that we've seen over the last year. And Philip, yeah, first of all, great to have you back again. Um, I, we've been doing this every quarter for a while and uh, always appreciate coming on the show here. Um, and, you know, good point. Now, once you said last interest rate hike, I think wh- where's where's those applause sounds, Scott? You know, you should have those built in. You need some sound effects here. Yeah, we'll yeah, switch up the yeah. crowd. Yeah, <laughs> this is long overdue. Well, as you know, Don, uh, when they say stop or there's some sort of good news, we don't talk about that. We just talk about when it's all going into, uh, into the cellar. Okay, you're going to go right down that path, are you? <laughs> That's so, my excuse. Okay, there we go. Um, so, you know, last year, uh, first of all, you have a podcast, The Living Markets. And uh, for all the listeners out there, it's five to ten minutes. It's a, it's a weekly podcast. Fantastic you know what, download it on your playlist and, and keep up with it because you had weekly insights, which is, you know, I, I love listening to it for myself. I share a lot of the information with clients. Um, but last year was a weird one. You know, it seemed like, you know, you couldn't find a spot to hide money um, that was going to do well. And, you know, if we had to go back, let's go through, first of all, the stock market. Um, Canadian stocks, U.S. stocks, international emerging markets, China. What happened? Well, Don, you know, I'll say this. Uh, yes, 2022 was a very different year. There's one thing about our industry, and there's there's plenty of learning opportunities, and last year was one of them. Um, the theme, I think, through the whole year was higher inflation leading to higher interest rates, and that threw into question the, the basically the health of the global economy, you know, the regional economies of the U.S., Canada, Europe, and so on, but the global economy as a whole and what that meant for profits and and so on. And it all came to a head and pushed markets lower. Um, And we had some, we had a nice rally to to the end of the year. Uh, But in general, asset classes were down pretty much across the board. We saw stocks down, didn't matter what geography they were in. We saw bonds down because the central banks were raising interest rates and inflation was staying so high. We saw gold down. The only thing that was up was really the US dollar. And that's one of the reasons why gold was lower on the year but yes you know when when you normally think about markets you know, or normally functioning markets when equities are down you tend to see an offset with rising 
you know, uh, rising bond prices. We didn't get that. It started with falling bond prices that spilt over into the equity market that you know basically uh, left investors with very few places to seek shelter. So if you had to say, you know, put a, a percentage to each of those classes, what did they do last year? Certainly. Well, um, the S&P 500, so the benchmark for U.S. stock market that we pay attention to was down 19%, excluding dividends. Uh, the TSX did better than that. TSX was down about, I think it was 8%. Um, when you factor it in dividends, it was down about 5 Uh European stocks were kind of in between, down about 11%. Uh, bonds were actually you know, down even more than that. They were down anywhere between, say, 12 and I think 17%, depending on on the geography and the maturity of the bonds. Uh, so you know, everything was down to the same extent, somewhere between say eight and 20%. Um, and it was it was a tough year. But to put it in context though, really what it did is it, it set us back to where we were say, you know, uh, late 2020, um, as opposed to, you know, so yes, we were down uh, and we gave up a couple of years worth of gains, but it wasn't, I would say, uh, a complete disaster as far as market performance when you do think about it over a three or five year period. And, and those those returns you mentioned, those would be the indexes, not a specific category. And if you had to go, say, a little bit deeper dive into, a, say, the S&P 500, and that's mainly uh, across between growth stocks and value stocks and growth stocks were all the talk and that have been for I don't know how long, at least seven to eight years and then they picked up tons of momentum during the pandemic what happened to them well you know we could even narrow the growth stocks down to the fangs you know okay. which uh, pre pre-covid were facebook apple amazon netflix google and then it was just plus microsoft plus tesla um well what we saw was that in an environment where money now costs something you know interest rates going from zero to where we are today you know four four and a half five percent um, and when growth is going to slow down, all of a sudden, you know, there isn't this just you know, a free run of these stocks where growth is unlimited, money is free, and, and you can just, you know, um, see your value compound without actually adding any enterprise value to these companies. So, well, it all came tumbling down. It was a house of cards that we, you know, eventually this is going to happen. And this is the frustrating thing about what we do. When you looked at the valuation of these high growth tech companies, the fangs and so on, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense in 2019, didn't make sense in 2021. Um, but you can be wrong for an extended period of time before the market realizes we shouldn't be overpaying for these stocks and drives the price much lower back to reality. Yeah. And that's a great point. You know, you look at and everybody was talking about Tesla as an example and looking how can that car company per se be worth more than all the other car companies combined? Exactly. Um, and that was the thing. The, the response was, well, you don't understand what Tesla is. Tesla is a technology company. It's a battery company. It's everything but a car company. Well, no, at the end of the day, it's a company that produces cars and it generates its revenue from cars. And when you only produce you know, just over a million cars a year, you're dwarfed by the big companies out there that can catch up and they are catching up. And now you're seeing the impact on the stock price. Yeah. When it goes down two thirds of its value. So if you invested a million dollars, it's now worth three hundred thirty-three thousand. That's real money. That's real value that's lost there. And, and you know, I'm I'm using them, but you also look at other companies, DocuSign, Peloton. You know, uh, that was the whole craze, as if everybody was going to stay indoors and keep pedaling a bike indoors, even when 
the pandemic would be over eventually. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if anything, the pandemic taught everyone is we like to go, we like what we were doing before. Absolutely. And, and I think the other thing that, you know, the pandemic and, and, and the, this market volatility that we saw in the past year also reminds us is that eventually valuation, you know, the true value of a company matters. It can be ignored, but for only so long, and then investors demand a real return, and and then the real value of companies get priced in. And you're right, Don. Yeah, we we went back to normal. Look, at, people are out at restaurants again. People are traveling again. Uh, airlines are full. Yeah, uh, hotels are full. Uh, and these are the good things. So, what's doing well? The the places that we visited pre-pandemic. What has suffered? The companies that took advantage of the pandemic, um, but were very short-lived, right? And and so that's the equity side of things. And and for the most part, I would say most pension funds would have about sixty percent, sometimes more, even maybe as high as seventy-five percent in equities, um, stocks, or even private equities. First of all, if you can explain the difference from a private equity and a public equity, and give an example of either, that would be great. Uh, certainly, it's very easy. Um, public equity is like, say, TD Bank. Anyone can open up a brokerage account and buy shares in TD Bank. Private equity is when effectively you're invited to own a piece of a company um, and and it's not publicly traded. So it's closed to the public to have access to it. Really, you have to be invited in into okay. uh, the funding for uh, for these companies. And I always like to use the example of the 407. Um, I, I don't know about you, Philip and Scott, but I, there's a whole lot of people that would love to own a few shares of the 407 because every time that little thing goes cha-ching, um, you know, there's dollars going into that. And some, you know, it's a great cash flow. Don't get yeah, me exactly. started about the four. Don't get me started about the 407. <laughs> we will we'll have no time for the guest at all. <laughs> so, yeah, though, so that's a whole area. And, and you look at the Canada Pension Plan, there's a large amount of money that is in private equities and private debt that is not available to the public. And, you know, I understand that uh, IG is offering, you know, private um, equities and, and private debt. And that would be lend, lending money that it would not be normal government or, or corporate debt. And so it, it's, it's a whole asset class. And how did that compare, say, private equities to the stock market? last year. Well, sure. And it, it did much better than the stock market because with the stock market, yeah, and I'll use the, I think it's the Benjamin Graham quote that day by day, the stock market is a voting machine. I love stocks. I hate stocks. I love stocks. I hate stocks. And the price fluctuates as a result of emotions more than anything else. Um, with private equity, you don't see that volatility in the price because it's not being traded on the whims of investors' moods that given day is traded. It's not traded at all. And it's valued based on the true fundamentals of the company. And this valuation will happen quarterly or semi-annually or annually. And it tends to be smoother. So private equity last year, comparatively, did much better than public equity. Yeah. And you're starting to hear some commercials in it come up. And this is a thing with any asset class. It's always after the fact. They start talking about them. And so everybody wants to say, what's the latest, greatest? And we always have to say, it's all about diversifying. It's all about getting a proper portfolio. Canada Pension Plan does not put all their funds in private equities. They have a portion there. They have public and private uh, debts. Um, they have real estate. They have infrastructure. They have all the, all the same things that we invest for our clients. 
And 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 one particular product I profile that I know you is near to, near and dear to your heart, Philip. And we'll be talking about that after the break. But it, it allows, and they do some ma- managing or tilting. And on that note, I'll leave it at there. But I want to talk a bit about tilting after the break. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, along with the Chief Investment Strategist of IG Private Wealth Management, Philip Peterson. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. He has brought Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at 905-972-7420. This is a pretty fascinating discussion into sort of behind the scenes, how all of this comes together. Uh, and moving forward, uh, Don, what would you say, and Philip, what would you say to, to, to those that are starting the new year, feeling the weight of what is going on and, and really concerned or anxious about what is happening moving forward? Is there, what is the positive light other than perhaps it looks like the interest rates are going to level out a bit? Yeah, well, there's a lot of positive lights that we highlighted in our 2023 outlook uh, in that, you know, a lot of the worst of of the market stresses are behind us. And we've removed a lot of the mystery in the environment, too. And uh, markets hate uncertainty and, and they tend to punish uncertainty. And that's what we had a lot of last year. Where would inflation peak out at? You know, what does the war in Ukraine mean for the rest of the world? Um, how bad would a recession actually be if we were to see one? Well, now we know inflation has peaked and it's it's moving lower. The war in Ukraine still goes on and it's still a tragedy, uh, but it's not nearly it's not having nearly the impact that people thought in terms of you know crisis, inflation, food shortages, energy shortages, and so on. Um, and so, with that behind us, we've started the year on a very positive note. Markets are actually up in January, uh, up mid single digits in North America, you know, near double digits in Europe and, and Asia. Uh, and it's on the fact that, again, a lot of the bad news is behind us. So to investors is the challenge. What I saw a lot of last year is that people were sitting on the sidelines saying, I'll wait for a better environment. There's never a sign that flashes saying now is the time. Um, and so we actually looked at, well, what if you had instead of investing at the beginning of the year, spread that investment out over the 12 months and invest it at the end, uh, the 30th or 31st of each month last year, how would you have done? Well, you still would have been down, but you would have been down by less. And so that really is is what we continue to suggest to investors saying, if you're trying to time the the market, time the best time to get in, good luck to you because you're not going to be able to do that. There is no you know kind of flashing green line, lights out, as they say on F1. Um, it's it's you know, cons- consistent approach to the process. And that is how, you know, ultimately you get to where you want to be. Yeah, this is so great to hear, first of all, because you're reiterating things that we talk about all the time. And for somebody that is in the business of trying to predict what's going to happen, I swear there's a lot of people think, well, isn't that your business? You're supposed to know. 
um, the market's up, the market's down. You should have been all in growth stocks. You should have done this. Why didn't you do that? Uh, I, I say, okay, I literally have a crystal ball in my boardroom. And for that reason, because I've never been able to get this thing to work. And it sounds to me that there's educated guests, but there's still nobody with a real clear crystal ball. Well, you know, if you think about it, there's there's a nuance to it. So first, let me say this. You know, the, the crystal crystal ball thought to it is saying, you know, you need to find the best time to invest. Well, there's 250 trading days in the year. One of them is going to be the best. So the odds of hitting that right is one out of 250. And let's say you make an investment every single year over the course of 20 years. You know, the odds of, of hitting it right is one over 250, you know, to the power of, of 20 years, if you, if you do think of it that way, which is you know, impossible. You have better odds of winning Lotto 649. So you don't think of it that way. Now, that doesn't mean you just invest blindly. You just say, well, I'll just keep buying the U.S. because that's what I've been told to do. No, there are there are opportunities to take advantage of market dislocations. And so it's, yes, you need to be consistent in your investment program, meaning you know, put money to work, but where you put money to work is the difference in return over the long term. And so when we talk about asset allocation, you know, is it, or, or performance, is it timing the market? Is it the individual security selection or is it the broad-based asset allocation? It's the broad-based asset allocation. That's 90% of your returns over the long term. That doesn't mean just diversify and hope for the best. It means sometimes you want to shift towards, as we're doing right now, Europe and Asia uh, and Canada and away from the United States because we see a, a greater opportunity in these areas of the world than in the United States. And it's paying off for us right now anyway. And what you're alluding to is what we just talked before the break was tilting. And uh, we have a product called iProfile. And it has, an, an example, it would have... U.S., Canadian, international, emerging markets, China. Um, it would have an ETF portfolio. It has low volatility stocks. It have private equities, public equities, uh, sorry, and public uh, private debt. Uh, all the fixed income areas. And they all have little areas where, okay, you have a bit of range on how much you can have in each area. For example, Canada could have between 8 and 28%. U.S., uh, could have between 7 and 27% as an example. Now, last year, uh, I guess the tilting started mid-year last year? Yeah, it started uh, in in um, like mid-year, so in beginning of Q3. And so what changes did you make back in Q3 and then and then Q4? Certainly, and, and the changes were iterative and they continue to build on themselves over the over the course of the last two quarters. So we started to trim our U.S. equity position to add to international equities, uh, emerging market equities, and Canadian equities. In the fourth quarter, we trimmed our U.S. equity position again to add back to fixed income. So we were underweight fixed income for the first half, first three quarters of the year. We went shifted back to neutral. Um, depending on the portfolio, whatever neutral is for for that um, that risk tolerance, so added back to fixed income, reducing the U.S. equity weight again. And I'm pleased to say these moves have all added value. The U.S. has actually been the laggard as far as you know, Canada, Europe, you know, uh, the emerging markets, um, you know, even bonds. Bonds have outperformed the U.S. Um, over the over the course of of these last two quarters. And so this is where you know, we're trying to add incremental value over and above our great managers 
that are buying individual U.S. stocks, right? They're doing their job. And I'm saying, yes, but I, I would actually like a little bit less U.S. and a little bit more international. And, you know, that's a good point. If you're a U.S. manager, you could be the best in the world and you can only buy U.S. stocks. And if you don't like what's going on with U.S. stocks, you still have to buy those U.S. stocks. You have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to trim back the U.S. stocks exactly. and allocate those resources, say, to Europe right now that, um, you know, the price earnings ratios are, or seem a lot less expensive. And Canada, for that matter, even to an emerging markets also um, would, would be reasonably inexpensive compared to the U.S. In fact, is U.S. not the most expensive in the world in terms of valuations? As far as the asset classes that we look at, yes, the U.S. is still uh, much more expensive. Every other asset class, and we're talking the big ones, right? So we lump international altogether, although we could break it out in terms of Europe, Japan, you know, the U.K., and so on. But yes, the U.S. is more expensive than China, than you know, broad emerging markets, than Japan, than you know, Europe, than Canada, um, to the point where you, know, you really have to pay attention to that. And what we talked about before valuation does matter so as these valuation dislocations normalize what that means is you get back to you know the the proper order of things uh you tend to see outperformance of the cheaper asset classes relative to the more expensive so why has europe performed much better this year than the us because it's significantly cheaper and the environment is actually improving there yeah and you know what and this is your crystal ball it's a it's a data driven crystal ball, and I would and I tell clients, this is you're taking a non emotional stand on on investments. You're not buying in on feeling. Oh, I got to get in on this, and and this is what, generally speaking, I, I feel we are not built to be good investors. We're emotional beings. Money we worked hard for. It's our life savings. And we're supposed to make a rational decision on on something that you spent all your life creating, and you're not, and you're supposed to make those rational decisions. And and so to put it in perspective, a, a manager of a mutual fund is trying to do the best job they can and generally outperform the market. Say outperform an ETF, an exchange traded fund would be the market. And then you're taking it one step further and saying, you know what? It's great that they're doing their job. I'm going to even take that and go another le uh, level deeper in, in helping clients achieve a, a greater result. And so over the, I know you had a, a previous life at Manulife. What did that do to the portfolios that you were involved with in those 10 years? Well, it was really, again, just trying to help people build better portfolios over time. So there I ran model portfolios so that you know, it's difficult to point to any particular performance um, it was more the general asset allocation. Yeah, you know, I, I like Don. I like to describe it this way. Um, imagine if we hop on a plane and we're going to Miami. At, Miami is our destination. How we get to Miami can change because of turbulence, right? You, the, the pilot can drive the plane higher, a little lower. You move around the storm. You do whatever you need to do, but you're still going to Miami. But what we want to do is on this trip is avoid as much of that turbulence as possible while still hitting our destination. And so that's what I do. And so, you know, it, we often say, it, what's your crystal ball say? It's like, well, you know, do we know there's turbulence ahead of us? And if we do, avoid it. It's easy to avoid and still get to your destination. And so that's what I say the asset allocation is really doing. What we're doing is, is we're avoiding the turbulence that we can see in front of us 
to make sure that we still get to our destination. And that turbulence right now, you know, seems to be in U.S. equities. And that that doesn't mean bad. You know, it doesn't mean U.S. equities are going to be down. It means that we can have a smoother ride, a better ride, if we focus our attention to other areas of the market. And it's funny you used, uh, you know, flying as as an example. Pilots do this automatically. They're constantly adjusting the altitude or, or around storms if they if they see them, and radar catches them. And again, we still end up getting some turbulence. There's, you know, you can't get away from it all. But they have a, they've been able to manage the turbulence. And that's a really great example of what we do. Yeah, well, sorry, when I say we, I mean you and all the managers are doing. My job is to look at a client's objectives and goals and find, you know, when you look at all the planning, which investment planning is part of. You know, of course, there's the tax planning, there's the estate planning, insurance, cash flow management, as much as it's always kind of overlooked, I would suggest it's the most important planning. Because without managing cash flow, you have no money to invest anyway. Uh, so looking at all the objectives, retirement planning, and then when you do have money, investment planning is part of that overall financial plan. And, and we do deal with holistic financial plans. Now, this is what I, I take this and I do not make these decisions. I put them in solutions that make the most sense, investment solutions that make the most sense. And it's great to have people like yourself that are looking after that part of it because there's no way that if you're dealing with a broker that is buying individual stocks, how they can compete against what you and your team is doing. Yeah. I, I take pride in the research that I do and, and my team does, and this is all we do. Like this is, this is what we do all day, every day. It's, it's uh, working on our portfolios and looking at the environment and modeling out outcomes. Um, I, I put great importance on what you do, Don, though. I mean, I, I think, yeah, people often say that. They say to me, they're surprised when I, I disclose that I use an advisor. And there's some, but but you're the chief investment strategist. I mean, you know everything about investing. Yes, but I know nothing about taxation. I know nothing about insurance. I know nothing about account management. Um, I My life is complicated that way. And so that's where I rely on others to do that. My part is so small. I like to think I'm the most important guy in the room, but it's so small. <laughs> <laughs> the whole picture of really, you know, meeting our financial needs, because we think it's just investment returns. Yeah, it's, it's so much more than that. Investment returns is just a very small part of the big concept that you you do for your clients every day. Well, thanks, Peter, Philip, brother. And it's, uh, it's important to have it in scope. But again, when you talk to somebody on the street, they would often say, okay, where's your money invested? That's the first go-to because, generally speaking, I think just the financial literacy out there is about simply investing. And where do you think a good tip is these days? I would that would be the scope of of a financial plan for a lot of people. And thankfully, there's a lot of people are getting more educated. They're they're you know, it's come from a, a defined benefit pension plan where they didn't have to make any decisions to now a defined contribution plan where all of a sudden they have to make some decisions. So they're forced into knowing something now. <laughs> and, and so then you take it one step further, you get a financial planner that says, okay, is there income splitting opportunities? There's tax planning opportunities. What can we do? And, and then you have, okay, teams like yourself. Now, when you, when you say you and your team research, what is entailed and what kind of work behind the scenes do you do so that you can make these decisions? 
Certainly. Well, we've got an inventory of probably, I don't know, somewhere between say two or 300 uh, different data sets that are updated uh, some weekly, some daily, some monthly, uh, depending on when the data comes out that um, I've developed over the last 15 years that go into the process of identifying the direction for you know, profit margins, earnings growth, um, valuation, interest rates, you know, all of it. And so it's all pieces of the puzzle that come together that that you know paint a clear picture of where we're headed. Now that's where we're headed uh, over the next next 12 months, you know, six to 12 months uh, is is my area of focus. Um, but that's that's kind of what we do every day. You know, we look at the economic table, what came out today? Okay, how does that impact our models? Oh, look at that. That says to us that earnings growth is going to be weaker in the first six months of the year. Okay, what does that mean? You know, and so that's uh, that's kind of, I, I love it. I think it's a lot of fun, but you do have to uh, love numbers and really nerd out on these things. <laughs> <laughs> and And good luck for the average person that they have a different life than you do trying to do this. Because it is a full-time job, and it's great that we have people like you doing this behind the scenes for us. You know, it amazes me when you see those commercials, those bank commercials, those uh, fast food hobbyist trading, as you and I referred to it a few weeks ago, Don. And, and you see these young people sitting there planning their whole financial future. And I'm thinking, how can you possibly know where where you're going and, and what you're doing. I can see why maybe wanting to do this as a side hustle, a little play money on the side, but my goodness, there's an awful lot at stake here. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. He has brought with him Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Our special guest is Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them at 905-972-7420. Uh, again, uh, a fascinating show and and, and really finding out uh, another level beyond what you do, Don, of, of where all this information comes from uh, with Philip and such. And, um, you know, it must be difficult for not only you, Don, but you especially, Philip, to keep this to a level where people can understand it. You talked about being a numbers guy and so on and so forth. It must be difficult to break it down so where people understand it, people get it. Yeah, it can be because, and I have to remind myself sometimes that um, uh, not to go too deep in, into the weeds uh, so that it there's a value in the conversation with other people. And, and really it comes down to you know, bringing it to examples that people can understand. Um, and, and that usually it could be talking about, you know, your cell phone bill every single month, you know, and this is why we like a company like BCE, for example, because how quick are you going to give up your cell phone? Not at all. Right. So (laughs) despite the volatility of BCE, guess what? They're going to continue to get more and more subscribers over time. So things like that, that then people go, oh yeah, I get it. You know, I'll just real quick, um, I getting some of the questions on the whole end of the world type you know, uh, scenario. And you just have to put it back to people saying, well, how would that play out? Right. So you have your gold 
and you're going to go into Loblaws to get your groceries, do you think they're going to accept it? Probably not. So, you know, I don't really think that's the way that things are going to happen. So sometimes it's also bringing reality back to the picture. Yeah, and there's that for sure. And, and this past year always brings that to the surface because of so many different things. And always uh, this time is different. Uh, it might be a different flavor of ice cream, but it's still ice cream. We still are doing different things. And and one thing is the interest rate environment, when you get years like this, a lot of people say, you know what? I just got to leave money on the sidelines. This is not worth it. How often does cash on the sidelines outperform, say, a balanced portfolio of, of equities and fixed income? Yeah, I guess it depends on the timeline. I would say over a 12-month period, sure. When the markets are down like last year, cash would do better because it wouldn't be down at all. Um, but at the same time, people that pulled out of the market in the fall to commit to cash that paid, let's say, 4% over the next year, well, guess what? The markets are already up 7 to 12% since yeah. then. So, you know, and, and that's just in four months. So you, you missed out on the opportunity to buy safety that, again, it, it, I'm going to use the plane analogy. It's like saying, you know, captain coming on saying, we're on our way to Miami. We're going to hit some turbulence and people start jumping out of the plane heading <laughs> in Albuquerque. Right? It's like, well, that's not where you want it to go. So, you know, this is why he said, put your seatbelt on. It's going to get a little bumpy, but we're still going to get to Miami. And, and that's why I think knee-jerk reactions like going to cash um, are the ones that are mistakes that you you can never fully recover because you're always behind. And that behavioral investing is such a big issue. It's what costs most people the most money because by moving it, fall swoop into one asset class, whether it be gold, whether it be cash, that's a heck of a lot of risk. And in, in my opinion, the biggest risk these days is longevity risk. And cash after inflation has been a negative performance year after year, um, particularly, and that's before tax. If you add tax to the equation, you definitely have lost money. So to go cash, it might feel good. But at the event, at the end of the day, you still got a parachute. You're jumping off a plane and you're not going to get to where you want to go. It felt like, oh, yeah, I want to get on. I want to get off this plane. But you know what? Trust the pilot. Exactly. You know, have some faith in the pilot. That's all they do for a living. Yeah. And so so on, on the interest rate thing, like last year, I don't know. It, some people said it's the worst year for a 60-40 mix. When I say 60-40, 60% stocks or equities, 40% fixed income in like the last 100 years. Because not often, the interest rates literally double in a year. And, of course, inflation goes up and it was a knee jerk to that. And of course the equity markets, it was just a, the perfect storm. So cash looks pretty good. Even gold didn't do great. So going forward now, now you're seeing things. Okay. What should people do? I personally think it's great. Um, I hate to have those years, but in the long term, this is so much better for a fixed income investor. Yeah. And we're back to 60, 40 or neutral in our portfolios as well. And the reason being is that one, you're getting paid to own fixed income again. You know, bonds are returning an attractive yield. Government bonds uh, in Canada and the US are between, let's say, 2.8% to you know 4%. Um, you have corporate bonds that are paying you 5 6%, high yield bonds that are paying you 8%. So these are attractive yields that we haven't seen. And to to your point of, of you know the 60-40 portfolio historically doing well, it's because bonds tend to uh, be that kind of ballast 
right? They tend to, you know, support the portfolio when equities are down. And I think we're back to that environment that if we were to see a severe recession and we were to see equity markets take a downturn, well, bonds are going to be up in that environment because the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada will be in a hurry to cut interest rates at that point to support the economy. And that's where, yeah, I'm not saying we're headed there, but that's the the risk management that we have offering offered to us in balanced funds. And along the way, you're picking up a coupon. Yeah, and you actually have a little powder in the gun again, so to speak, because before when interest rates were so low, there wasn't much they could do, but now they can actually lower interest rates again. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, along with Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take another quick break. Our last segment is coming up. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management and our special guest, Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at 905-972-7420. All right, this has been a fascinating show. How are we going to finish this off? How do you sum all this up? Well, the question of the day has been, what? how long, how should we ma- manage our mortgages? They're coming up for renewal. Should I go short-term, variable, back to five years? And to me, it kind of feels like back in the recession of the 80s, when there was an inverse relationship, uh, inverse yield curve, where if you locked for five years, you had to pay 17%. But in one year, you, you would have to pay 21%. Well, the right decision was to go the one year and then the interest rates fell, and then you could renew in one year, kind of bite the bullet, if you will. And right now, I'm looking at the one year is about five and three quarters percent. The five years is about 5.4% right now. And those are pretty good rates relative. That's what my rate search did. So you're paying actually more for the one year than the five year. The variable rate is like 6.1, and that's a five-year variable, which is based on the prime rates. And that's after, you know, and it may go up another quarter percent. So here, throwing in your court, I, you know, I always have to answer these questions here. Philip, what about yourself? Well, so I, I'm not an expert on on the the finances of, of mortgages. Um, I leave that to experts like you. But I'll say this. Uh, we should expect interest rates to stay where they are through 2023. I do think that the Bank of Canada has one more rate hike coming up this week. Um, and then they'll they'll probably pause. But that doesn't mean they're going to be cutting anytime soon. Right. Um, so I don't think we'll see interest rate cuts till 2024. So that does mean that anyone renewing a mortgage today will be paying more than the expiring mortgage of, of five years ago. Um, and they can pay their interest costs will be up by as much as 35 to 45 percent. So it, it's not immaterial. To the question of whether you go variable or not, I do think that we could see interest rates cuts coming in 2024. So that could imply that variable might be a better approach, go one or or roll a one year, right? Lock in a one year and then roll it over uh, each year because you know I think that rates are more likely to head lower over the course of the next three to five years. And I think we're near the, the peak. At the same time, look, I, I'm not sitting there, you know, uh, shedding a tear. 
I, my mortgage when I came out and my first mortgage was six and a half percent. So still, <laughs> anyway, you know, it, it's it's still a bargain as far as I'm concerned. That's a good point. We all, everybody kind of got into the game like a three or 4% mortgage. Scott, you and I came out of school and and we were hoping to get under 10%. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the days of double digits. Uh, what are we crying about really? But tell that know, to somebody trying to, trying to afford a house, right? But the real estate prices were based on those interest rates. And so the, the house values had gone up so tremendously because it's what people could afford based on the rates. And as you mentioned, Philip, 30, 40% on a mortgage payment is massive. So this is a big decision. Personally, uh, you know what, if, if inflation starts to come down, and I think that's what your crystal ball has been saying, interest rates will eventually fall. And I don't know if you'd want to be, it's not that much difference from a one year and a five year. So I think maybe hedging your bets that way. And so that goes out to my, my buddy, Brad, that was asking me this week, what should I do with my mortgage coming due? Now, on, on a different note, I, I, I listen to your p- podcast. And again, for those listeners who didn't catch the beginning of the show, it's called The Living Markets. And it, it covers a lot of these questions. And, and it's a weekly podcast. So, you know, I don't know what you're going to do this week, Philip. I guess I'll stay tuned. But um, you, you were able to interview uh, Christine Van Kellenberg, who is, she's heavily involved in the tax planning. She's, she's written books. We've had her on our show, Scott. Um, it's been a couple of years now. Might have to get her back. I remember and, that. Yeah, and she's quite quite knowledgeable. And, and again, it's taken the whole financial focus. But at the end of the day, um, a few of my favorite ones. What the the way you ended was awesome. It's called the lightning round. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here, Philip. Um, buy crypto or don't buy crypto. Don't. <laughs> Full stop. Full stop. Don't. Is there any value in crypto? Uh, not that I can measure. Okay. <laughs> that that one there, it seems to be young males that bought crypto. It seems it, to be- you know, and uh, look, I know people that have made money on it, but I just can't figure out what it's worth. So if, if I can't figure out what it's worth, I have no sense invest, uh, no point, uh, you know, uh, investing in it. Okay. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Ah, right. There we go. Yeah. You got a dog too, Scott. I do too. I was wondering where I was going. I was about to take all my money and put it somewhere else. <laughs> uh, Marvel or DC? Oh, uh, you know, I was a kid that was both. Um, but uh, you know what? I, I'm looking forward to DC because you know I think they're gonna they're, they've got uh, James Gunn who's heading it up now. I think he's gonna do some pretty impressive stuff with that DC universe. So I'm looking forward to seeing it their direction. Okay, I'm a big Marvel fan, so it'll be interesting to see if they can pull up their shorts a bit and uh last movie you watched um uh, okay well only because i was forced to but my wife was <laughs> to watch Greece the other night and so we watched Greece. <laughs> that's an oldie but a goodie yeah 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 it was very entertaining <laughs> uh i know you read a ton of books and just to keep up what was the last book you read uh, actually a really good book. Uh, so I, I actually don't read a lot of finance books. Um, but, uh, this one was, and it wasn't a finance book, but it was titled the ends of the world. And basically it was an account of the five previous mass extinctions over the last, you know, how many millions of years and, and the, the commonality between them. So it was a really interesting, interesting way of looking at, uh, the potential for climate change going forward. Now that's there's... something that's really nice and light on the way just to bed, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And finally, McMaster or Queens? Oh, McMaster. 
There you go. That's what I wanted to hear. Us too. I, I knew that was going to be the answer because we're both McMaster oh, yeah. grads. Thank you so much again for your time on the show. I look forward to you uh, coming back in another three months and seeing what knowledge you can impart on, on all of us again. Well, my great pleasure, Don. Thank you. And Scott, thank you as well. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox has been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Our special guest, Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist for IG Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG at 905-972-7420. All right, gentlemen, another fabulous show. I got to go lie down, man. This has been a lot to take in uh, over the course of the last uh, hour or so, but a terrific show. Thanks again so much. We'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.